Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Vance Christie on the life and ministry of 19th century British Christian David Livingston. That seems to be about the extent of many people's acquaintance with David Livingston, that single phrase, Mm. Dr. Livingston, I presume. (laughs) Vance Christie, next. Historical biographer Mr. Vance Christie says David Livingston was one of the most consequential individuals who lived in the 19th century. Mr. Christie's written, David Livingston, Missionary, Explorer, Abolitionist, a detail-rich volume chronicling Livingston's life, ministry, and his many achievements. Mr. Christie, there are so many people you could write about. Why did you choose to write this 700-page biography about David Livingston? His life had positive consequences for more people than um, practically anyone else who lived in the 19th century. He explored vast regions of South Central and Southeastern Africa that had never before been visited by, uh, by a European, by a white man. And his pioneering endeavors opened the door for Christianity and legitimate commerce to be brought to that portion of the continent, which um, in turn led to the Portuguese and Arab slave trades being abolished in that region of Africa. Um, He also provided Western nations with a thoroughly revised and expanded understanding of Southern Africa, its people groups, geography, natural resources, and much more. What can you tell us about the period of time in which he lived, uh, where he was born, and where he was from? Yes, he was um, born in 1813 in Blantyre, Scotland. Um, He was born in a mill town, and from the time he was 10 years old, um, to help um, bring in income for his family. He went to work um, 12 hours a day in a cotton mill, and um, while doing that, he also um, attended night school to uh, receive his um, basic education, and um, then after God led him to prepare for missionary work, he also attended medical school in Glasgow, Scotland, and in London, England. And as far as the age, it was a time of great interest on the part of British people in in influencing the world and for good, usually. Yeah, right. <laughs> and and in um, learning more about the world. Mm. Well, now, what can you tell us about his upbringing or his conversion to Christ? Yes. He was raised in a very pious family, and his parents faithfully shared with him the gospel of Jesus Christ, um, salvation through faith in Christ alone. David, however, felt that he was unworthy of um, to receive God's gift of salvation, so he kept putting that off. And part of his thinking was, I don't know if he was taught this or it was just a misunderstanding that he had along the way, but he he believed that 
he couldn't simply accept God's offer of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ, but that he needed to wait until God's spirit did a transforming work in his life. Um, I personally would not see those those two as, <laughs> mm-hmm. as um, mutually exclusive. It takes the Spirit's work in a person's heart to bring them to Christ. Mm-hmm. But David somehow um, felt like he was never worthy to receive God's gift of salvation. So his throughout his teen years, um, just privately, that was a spiritually difficult time for him. Through the writings of a individual in his day who did a lot of work in helping Christians bring together Christian concepts with science. And David Livingston, as a boy, was very interested in all things scientific. But through the writings of that individual, he was helped to see that science and Christianity were not contradictory as some had been telling David, and also that author helped him to see that that God's gift of salvation through faith in Christ was freely available for all who would receive it. So at age 19 um, was when David came to faith and received Jesus as his personal Savior. I'm talking with Mr. Vance Christie, and he is author of the book, David Livingston, Missionary Explorer and Abolitionist, lived in the 19th century, uh, born and raised in Scotland, and he's been explaining to us how he came to faith in Christ and obviously trained as a medical doctor, Mr. Christie. But then, how would you explain, or how did he explain his motivation for traveling to Africa? How did he discern God's call to to do something so dramatic uh, at that time. When David first came to faith in Christ, he um, immediately sensed and felt that he should do all that he could to help promote the spread of the gospel so that those who had not yet been exposed to it could hear the good news of salvation and would have the opportunity to receive it. And um, yet, the, the first two years after his conversion, he really gave no thought to becoming a missionary himself. And it was a couple years later that through reading the story of a man named Carl Gutzloff, who was one of the um, very, very early missionaries in China, um, Carl Gutzloff um, went along the coastline of China, spreading the gospel and treating some people's basic medical needs. And it was through his example that Livingston was inspired to consider going as a missionary himself. And initially, he was interested in going to China, where Mm -hmm. Gutzloff served. But through his years, through Livingston's years of medical training and um, theological preparation to go as a missionary. Um, There was um, the opium war that was underway in China um, that would prevent him from going there as a missionary. And um, he became associated with the London Missionary Society. And there was the opportunity to go to Africa. He met 
Robert Moffat, who was um, easily the most prominent missionary serving in Africa in that day. And in fact, Robert Moffat um, became his future father-in-law. Mm. And um, Robert Moffat indeed encouraged him to go to Africa and encouraged him to go beyond where Moffat was serving into the region of inner Africa, where um, the gospel had not yet penetrated. Hmm. Well, now, what, what kind of a team did he take with him, Mr. Christie? I mean, obviously, he didn't just show up alone. Correct. He went with a fellow missionary um, in the London Missionary Society to Africa, and then they traveled. It actually was a um, married couple. Um, so that couple and David Livingston traveled together once they arrived in Africa in 1841. They traveled um, the 500 miles from the southern coast of Africa up to Kuraman, which was um, Robert Moffat's station. And there were there was another missionary couple and a single missionary that were serving there. So at that time, they had a, a team of um, six missionaries who were there at Kuraman. Now, in terms of taking the gospel to an unreached people, which, of course, was, as you are explaining, that was part of the motivation there, of course, or the main motivation to go into to deeper into Africa. But how did he overcome the language barrier? Livingston was an incredible linguist, his career would prove. And um, so he set to work learning the Sichuana language. He also was studying Dutch because um, that was a language spoken by many people in South Africa. So um, he learned the basics of the language, studying it there at Kuraman, and then also he soon was involved in inland journeys um, among the Beshwana people, and they spoke Sichuana. So as he interacted with them, that just enabled him to gain the language much more quickly. And early on in his missionary career, he took a journey that lasted, I believe it was about um, four months, if I recall correctly, where there was not another English-speaking individual with him. So for those four months, he did nothing but speak in Sichuana with the Bishwana people. And so he was able to quickly learn the language and gain great facility in it. Mm. Well, any idea uh, uh, how he was viewed by the Africans that he encountered? I mean, I think you explain, of course, that he would have been, for many or most of them, the first uh, white person that they had ever seen. Yes. Two common responses. Um, many people were fascinated to meet a white man with straight hair as opposed to their very curly hair mm -hmm. and um, white skin, which actually frightened some of them. Um, so there was great interest in meeting him. And on the other hand, there was a degree of fear on the part of many to meet a white individual and not certainly not all the reports that they had heard about whites were um, favorable because there had been abuses on the part of some whites toward 
um, tribal peoples there in Africa. So that was in the back of uh, many people's minds. Well, Mr. Christie, my understanding is that David Livingston uh, saw one convert uh, in his ministry in Africa, actually an African chief. What can you tell us about him and about the circumstances? Yes, after David Livingston had served in Africa for seven years, he had been ministering to a chief named Seychelles for three or four of those years and had um, had quite a bit of influence. Over time, Seychelles came to the point where he was ready to place his trust in Jesus Christ. He resisted that for several years because he was a polygamist, and the missionaries um, taught from Scripture that polygamy was contrary to God's will. But gradually, he came to the point, Seychelles so came to the point where um, even at the cost of putting away all but his first wife, um, he desired to um, commit his life to Christ as a Savior. So when he did that, he um, continued to live with his first wife, and then his several other wives he sent back to their families with um, generous material provision to um, let them and their families know that he still cared about them, but that he considered it of necessity to follow Jesus, that he would um, be married only to one woman. It is interesting to me that when Seychelles came to faith, Livingston had been serving for seven years and in Africa, and there were other um, prominent pioneering missionaries who served for that same period of time before their first convert mm. was one to Christ. Among that, uh, that number were um, William Carey, Adoniram Judson, and also Robert Morrison, who is um, lesser known, but was the first Christian missionary to China. So Livingston was among several pioneers who did not see their first convert until um, seven years into their faithful ministry. And that, I would think, would be encouraging to people involved in cross-cultural missions today. Absolutely. We, here in America, tend to expect prompt results, mm -hmm. and sometimes the work of salvation is a matter of years in a person's heart, I suppose, especially in a cross-cultural ministry, but even in our own American setting, there would be many occasions where we might plant gospel seeds for a number of years before we see the fruit of that. Was that discouraging at all? Did you did you see anywhere to David Livingston that it took that long until he saw, actually saw someone, was aware of someone coming to Christ? Well, I think um, yes and no. Um, yes, it couldn't help but be discouraging, and in his correspondence there are references to his longing to see people responding to the gospel as he was so earnestly imploring them to come to the Savior. And at the same time, he had um, an undying faith that the seed that he was planting would eventually um, result in spiritual fruit.
So how long was David Livingston in Africa? How long did he serve there? Well, his total career in Africa was 32 years. 16 of those was as a missionary um, with the London Missionary Society. And then um, the latter half of his career were spent in two capacities with the British government. One was leading the Zambezi expedition for a period of five or six years. And then um, the latter seven or eight years of his life, he was again serving in a capacity with the um, Royal Geographical Society of um, Britain. And, and what he was doing in that time period was seeking to trace out the headwaters of the Nile, which was the pressing geographical question about Africa that British people were immensely interested in. But in while serving in both those capacities with the Zambezi expedition and with the Royal Geographical Society, Livingston always considered himself first and foremost, a missionary. Mm. He continued to um, share the gospel with um, people groups that he met and um, really did not view himself as forsaking the work of, of a missionary, although some thought that he did, but he viewed himself as um, opening up the country through his pioneering endeavors so that the gospel and commerce could be brought into the country um, for the spiritual and material benefit of Africans. And did his medical training come in handy as he was sharing the gospel, as he was moving through Africa? It definitely did. Again, during his missionary years, he um, practiced medicine to a greater degree, and um, especially during his initial inland journeys in his opening years in Africa, he would be, just be surrounded by people who had traveled um, on foot great distances for um, medical treatment. And then um, that led to opportunities to share the good news of Christ as well. Well, the book is David Livingston, Missionary, Explorer, Abolitionist. My guest is the author, Mr. Vance Christie. And, and I'm wondering, Mr. Christie, in what sense was he an abolitionist? I think you mentioned right at the beginning uh, that he was involved in abolishing, was it the Portuguese and the... And uh, Arab slave trades, yes. Well, after his first eight years in Africa, he then spent eight more years carrying out what he called missionary travels. And in fact, he wrote a book um, that had those words in the title. And um, as he traveled in the interior of um, Southern Africa, and actually he made a transcontinental journey that led him first to the west coast of Africa and then to the east coast of Africa. Um, he was the first European ever to across the entire continent. But as he was making all those journeys over a period of about eight years, he had um, many occasions where he saw the Portuguese slave trade transpiring. He also saw um, 
various African tribal groups taking slaves from other tribes to sell as property, um, usually to the Portuguese or to the Arabs. And then as he made his way to the East Coast, and um, also during the Zambezi expedition, he saw a lot of the Arab slave trade. He witnessed just horrific instances of um, human brutality, loss of life, just heartless treatment, unspeakable heartless treatment of these individuals. I might add that Britain during that time, William Wilberforce Mm. died not too long um, before Livingston started his public ministry. Many of us know this the story of Wilberforce and how he was used of the Lord to help bring an end to slavery in the British Empire. So Britain was primed during Livingston's career to do what it could to put a stop to slavery in various parts of the world. And as David Livingston reported to Britain what was going on in Africa in terms of this horrific slave trade, then that pricked the conscience of Britain and led to significant efforts on the part of the British people to help bring an end to that in Africa. Well, well, Mr. Christie, we've talked about it a little bit, but I'm wondering if you can uh, kind of discuss for us David Livingston's trust in God, God's guidance, his providence, his protection. I mean, all of these obviously came into play when he was in a, a completely new and foreign environment like Africa was. Yes. David Livingston faced so many extreme difficulties throughout his career, but one of the keys to his getting through all those um, challenges was that he exercised unshakable trust in, um, as you just mentioned, in the fact that God was guiding him and Um, God's providence working through circumstances, and the Lord was protecting him. And his journals contain many scripture citations, a number of which are included in the book um, that I've written, that um, highlight those themes. One of his favorite Bible passages was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. He'll make your paths straight. David Livingston absolutely believed that um, God was working in his life in that way. Another Bible passage that was a favorite of his, and I'm going to read this if I may, Mm -hmm. Um, Psalm 37, verses 4 through 6, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. So that was how David lived, committing his way to the Lord and trusting him to um, bring good out of the very challenging efforts that he was putting forth, the very challenging circumstances that he was facing, I should say. Mm. 
Well, the book is David Livingston, Missionary Explorer and Abolitionist, and I, Mr. Vance Christie is the author, nearly finished here, Mr. Christie, and there's so much in your book, of course, we can't get to, but uh, what about the origin of the phrase, the well-known phrase, I have to ask you about it, Dr. Livingston, <laughs> I presume? Yes. What can you tell us? <laughs> Toward the end of his life, David Livingston um, found himself um, all but penniless in Ujiji on Lake Tanganyika in Africa. And his supporters in England had been sending him supplies. But um, as those were transported to him at Ujiji, they were repeatedly pilfered by by the carriers and the men in charge of those goods. So Livingston found himself penniless and a man named Henry Morton Stanley, who was a young American journalist, was sent out to discover if Livingston was still living and if so, um, what he was doing in, in his explorations. There was in, immense interest in that, both in Britain and in America. So this American newspaper sent out Henry Morton Stanley, and um, he found Livingston at Ujiji, came to his rescue. They did a minor exploration together, and then um, Stanley returned to the east coast of Africa to line up a new set of carriers to help Livingston in his um, final travels and his his final explorations. Any sense of why that phrase has become so famous? <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned the phrase again. When when those two men met in Ujiji, that was Stanley's greeting line to Livingston, Dr. Livingston, I presume. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know why it became so famous, but it is of interest to me that 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 seems to be about the extent of many people's acquaintance with David Livingston, that yep. single phrase, mm. Dr. Livingston, <laughs> I presume. What is the legacy that uh, David Livingston has left to us? You, you write that he was one of the most significant missionaries in the history of the Christian church. He had a, a favorite phrase um, that he, he just used repeatedly throughout his life, and that was that, that God would make all right in the end. God would cause it, things to turn out right hmm. in the end, in other words. And um, I think we need to work with that mentality that we faithfully serve in the ways that God has called us to, and then we trust Him with the ultimate results, even when we may not be, be seeing a lot of fruit presently. The book ultimately is not about glorifying David Livingston. It's instead glorifying God who and Jesus Christ, God's Son, who drew him to salvation, gave him the desire to serve his Savior, uniquely equipped him to carry out the, the very unique ministries that he had, and then when we consider the tremendous benefit and fruit that came about through all that, God gets the glory. Not David Livingston, but the God of David Livingston.
You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, historical biographer Mr. Vance Christie, author of David Livingston, Missionary, Explorer, Abolitionist. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Bob Shogren using the God-given traits of dogs and cats to show us how to rightly relate to God. That's the same way it is, you know. Are, are we serving the cat or are, is the cat serving us? Uh, are we serving God or is God serving us? Most people want a God who serves them. Their Christianity is designed for God. I need this. I want this. Help me here. Help me there. That's tomorrow at the same time right here on His People. Thanks for listening.